0: If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitzkin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Today on What Got You There, I am doing one of my very special distillation episodes. Remember, this is a once-a-month a deep dive on someone I learn from, have tremendous respect for, and really admire their thinking, and this distillation is on Bob Iger, the former CEO of the Walt Disney Company uh, and current executive chairman. He, in my eyes, is one of the greatest business leaders of our time, and there is just so much wisdom and leadership principles that we can take away from Bob. So please enjoy this special distillation episode on Bob Iger. Some people are born millionaires, others are self-made, but while no two millionaires or even billionaires follow the exact same path, they're all bullish on this secret asset class. Know what investment asset I'm talking about? It actually has nothing to do with stocks, cryptos, or even NFTs. According to the Wall Street Journal, market watchers are saying that the biggest payday for billionaires could come from the art market. I'd say skip the NFT mania, why? Because that's not how billionaires are diversifying their portfolio and protecting their wealth for generations. They're investing in blue-chip art. Why are they doing that? Because art outpaced the S&P 500 by threefold from 1995 to 2020 with nearly zero correlation to the public equities. But you don't need to be a billionaire to get in on this multi-trillion-dollar asset class. Masterworks.io is the fintech platform democratizing the art market In other words, you can start investing like the 1% and build a diversified portfolio of iconic contemporary works from Warhol to Picasso to Banksy. They've securitized over 90 paintings with SEC and have over 280,000 users. In fact, hundreds of members just got a 32% annualized return from their Banksy sale. Demand has never been higher, but you can get immediate access with my special link. Head to masterworks.io slash what got you there to start investing. That's masterworks.io slash what got you there. You can also see more important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Are you looking for a delicious and healthy nutrition bar that is keto-friendly, low-sugar, and protein-infused? If so, look no further than New School Snacks, who's reinventing the low-sugar snacking revolution. Now, for me, health is one of the biggest things I think about, and eliminating the sugar from my diet is crucial, and that's why I love New School Snacks. So if you're one of those people who also want to change the way you approach nutrition and snacking, then head to newschoolsnacks.com for great deals on their collagen bar loaded with healthy fats from MCT oil, and while you're there, pick up one of their brand new mouth-watering French Toast Crunch Bars. That's newschoolsnacks.com. So as we start the new year... We're getting started with one of my favorite things to do, and this is a distillation episode. And this distillation is on one of my all-time favorite business leaders, and that's Bob Iger. And Bob was the former CEO of the Walt Disney Company. He's currently the executive chairman. And he really is just someone who seems to be the embodiment uh, of hard work, tenacity, living life by your values, knowing what you need to do to not only bring out your best self, but also get the best out of others. So this is going to be a fun exploration into Bob's thinking, what he's done over the years, who he's learned from, what are some of his leadership principles. Uh, But I'm going to start off by reading a little something that that Bob wrote, and that is, my instinct throughout my career has always been to say yes to every opportunity. In part, this is just garden variety ambition. I wanted to move up and learn and do more, and I wasn't going to forego any chance to do that. But I also wanted to prove myself that I was capable of doing things that I was unfamiliar with. It would be easy in a book like this to act as if all the success Disney experienced during my tenure is the result of the perfectly executed vision that I had from the beginning. But you can only put the story together in retrospect. I had no real idea, though, especially then, where this journey would take me. Determining principles of leadership is impossible to do without experience, but I had great mentors. I'd absorb everything I could from them. Beyond that, I trusted my instincts and I encouraged the people around me to trust theirs. Only much later did those instincts start to shape themselves into particular qualities of leadership that I could articulate. There's a way in which I still can't quite believe it. It's a strange thing to think that on the one hand, that the narrative of your life makes complete sense. Day connects to day, job to job, life choice to life choice. The storyline is coherent and unbroken. There are so many moments along the way where things could have gone differently though. And if not for a lucky break or the right mentor or some instinct that said to do this rather than that, I would not be telling this story. I can't emphasize enough how much success is also dependent on luck and I've been extraordinarily lucky along the way. Looking back, there's something dreamlike about it all. Man, I'm, I, this just encapsulates so much uh, of what I love so much about Bob, right? Like he's willing to admit the the role luck plays in all of this, but also just like his, his ambition around learning, growing, developing. Obviously, like I, I'm doing this because I love growing. I love learning. I love sharing this with others. And he's just one of those people. But I, I also like that he talks about how his leadership principles, they only got carved out and developed over time and with experience. I think today so many of us just just try to slap values or principles on the wall. It's like you got to live them, and this is something Bob did. So I'm actually going to read off uh, Bob's 10 leadership principles, uh, and then we'll dive more into Bob's story. So first off is optimism, and one of the most important qualities of good leader is optimism, Um, pragmatic enthusiasm for what can be achieved. Uh, Even in the face of difficult choices and less-than-ideal outcomes, you need an optimistic leader um, and not someone who's just going to yield to pessimism. Um, simply put people are not motivated or energized by pep uh, pessimists and Bob was an optimist the next one is courage and the foundation of risk-taking is courage and in ever-changing disrupting businesses risk-taking is essential and you think about Reed Hoffman's um, around embracing failure right like that takes courage the ability to, to risk certain things and um, the next one is focus and allocating time, energy, and resources to strategies, problems, and projects that are of highest importance. And Bob understands if you're going to be the CEO of a company like Disney, focus is going to be so key and you have to understand what are the key things that require your time and then go all in on them. Next up is decisiveness and all decisions, no matter how difficult can and should be made in a timely matter. And leaders must encourage a diversity of opinion, balance with the need to make and implement those decisions. And chronic indecision is not only inefficient and counterproductive, but it's deeply corrosive to morale. I'm sure many of us have been in those those situations where unfortunately indecision just 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 weighs on us and crushes us. So decisiveness is key. Next up is curiosity. This one really hits home for me and like a deep and abiding curiosity enables the discovery of new people, places and ideas as well as an awareness and understanding of the marketplace and its changing dynamics. The path to innovation begins with curiosity, right? Like that exploration type Mentality and mindset is is crucial here. So next up on, on Bob's principles is fairness. And strong leadership, I mean, this embodies the fair and decent treatment of people, right? Like I, I don't know a single great leader. Who, who doesn't treat people well, and empathy is essential as is accessibility, right? Like you need to be empathetic to be able to view things through other people's eyes, but you also have to be accessible, right? Like you're not just closed off and no one can ever gain access. Um, so that's important, and, and Bob views this as fairness. Next up is thoughtfulness, and thoughtfulness is, is one of the most underrated elements of good leadership. I mean, it's the process of gaining knowledge so an opinion rendered or decision made is more credible and more likely to be correct. It's it's basically just simply about taking the time to develop informed opinions. Next up is authenticity and I would say if there's there's been a few things that have been so common on these distillations, but one of them is just unabiding authenticity. And Bob says you got to be genuine, you got to be honest, you can't fake anything. And truth and authenticity breed respect and trust. Now, I think this is so crucial too. If you're not being your authentic self, letting that shine through, you're not going to be able to bring your best self. And I think you can see this uh, across different leadership styles. If you think about great sports coaches or even player styles, they're all different. But the elite elite, they're being true to themselves. I just think that's so crucial. Next up, the relentless pursuit of perfection. We'll we'll talk about all of these, but but this one certainly again here in this distillery. And, And this doesn't mean perfectionism at all costs. But it does mean a refusal to accept mediocrity or make excuses for something being, you know, good enough. If you believe that something can be made better, put in the effort to do it. If you're in the business of making things, be in the business of making things great. I think of this through the lens of quality. Um, quality kind of embodied uh, through, through the great book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, right? Like everything we do, we can add this level of quality and attention and detail to. And, and Bob understands that. The, the final one here is integrity and nothing is more important than the quality and integrity of an organization's people and its product. A company's success depends on setting high ethical standards for all things, big and small. Another way of saying this, the way you do anything is the way that you do everything. So it's funny. I, I know we kind of mentioned this in the intro, but just ha- how Bob is able to look back and kind of just be like, wow, he he, he, he said looking back at, you know, this kid growing up in Brooklyn and then leading one of the biggest companies in the world, like how did this even happen? And I think that's, that's a good perspective to remember that here's someone who became one of the most powerful CEOs of all time. And he can look back and be like, this was absolutely crazy. Like, how did this happen? So people earlier in their career, even in the middle of your career, like so much more is, is possible within us. And so I mentioned, he grew up, um, I think I said, Brooklyn, he grew up outside Long Island, uh, in a town called Oceanside. And Definitely didn't have much money. He was the oldest sibling. He had an interesting childhood um, with his father. And I'll I'll dive more into this, into the distillery, um, which you guys can see at whatgotyouthere.com and just click on the distillery tab. And his father had this kind of weird personality where he never lived up to his possibilities. And Bob kind of thought his father led a life that was unsatisfying to him and he was a failure in his own eyes. And that's one of the reasons Bob says he pushed himself so hard because he never wanted to be like his father. Um, he never wanted to be in his eyes, a failure. Um, but one of the things Bob does say is, with few exceptions in my life, I never worried too much about the future, and I've never had too much fear about trying something and failing. And I think this came because he saw his father. He knew he had to take more chances. So he was driven to succeed from a from an early age, and he didn't even necessarily know what success meant. He didn't have a specific vision early of being wealthy or powerful, but he was determined – to live a life not of disappointment. I, I think a lot about like people's North Stars, right? Like their core purpose, what are they going after? And like for him, you can see this was so embedded in him. He needed to live a life not of disappointment and whatever shape that took, it didn't matter. Um, He, he just knew he needed to pursue this. And so I, I think it's always helpful to kind of get an, a, an understanding uh, of the people we're dissecting. And one of the things that that Bob focuses a lot on is exercise. He is maniacal about his exercise, his routine. Um, he says he exercises for three reasons: for health, for vanity, and for sanity. And both of Bob's parents had heart attacks in the forty in their forties, so he knew how important this was. Actually, from an early age, even in his in his early twenties, he started to put more and more effort into health and fitness. But um, he exercises, as, as I said, for sanity. He he says, "I need quiet time. I need time alone. I need time to be still with my thoughts." And exercise provides me that. It's solitude and. Uh, I, I, I love this too, because it, it really is important for me for clear thinking. I need to be able to move. Uh, one of the lines I like is, uh, sometimes you need to move your way into stillness. And I find that true. And so he gets extremely early. Uh, he gets up at four 15 and he says he's been doing this for, for as long as he can remember. And that gives him that time to think, to read, to exercise before like the demands of the day take over. right? Where texts are coming in, emails are coming in, putting out fires, especially running a company like Disney. And he says, those hours aren't for everyone, right? Like those early mornings. I happen to be an, an early morning person, and I similar pattern uh, as Bob in terms of time and workouts and things like that. But it's about knowing what works best for you, right? Like early on in careers, I think people hear about morning routines and things like that. And they're like, oh, I need to apply this. It's like, but does it work well for you? Certain people are night owls where maybe your quiet time, your time in solitude, your workouts are at night. It's about figuring out what works best for you. And so one of the things that that he's done actually is he does a go-to cardio machine called the Versa Climber, and he does this for 45 minutes. This thing is brutal. It's a, it's a total body workout, similar to like are climbing steps, but also pulling yourself up at the same time. And he's been doing this for 30 plus years. One of the things I, I like, because I actually do the exact same thing, which is probably to a lot of people, sounds somewhat weird. He works out in the dark. I actually work out uh, in the pitch black as well. And it kind of takes me into this more meditative state um, where I'm fully immersed in what I'm doing um, as opposed to just lights on being distracted. So I just thought that was a a unique commonality. Uh, So anytime you hear people you look up to with commonalities, uh, I always tend to pick on those. But workouts, health, fitness overall is is just an essential for Bob. And, And one of the things that, workouts and health they help you with is dealing with stress. And he always thought he had this, this ability to avoid stress, right? Like the biggest circumstances in the world, he could, he could face them. uh, He could run into them, but he, uh, he like everyone, um, he came to realize the effects of stress. And before we get into Bob's story, I'll bring up one thing. I remember reading in, uh, in John D. Rockefeller's, uh, biography where he essentially, started just losing his hair instantaneously. He was either losing his hair or going completely gray because of the demands of stress. And I think we, we looked at these Titans and we think they're invincible to it, and they're not. And so this happened. He was actually at an LA Clippers game uh, with his son, Max, and he started to feel really weird in the stands and couldn't really figure out what was going on. He knew something was wrong. Um, so he, he got his son, Max. Unfortunately, Bob ended up driving home, which obviously is not the smart thing to do. But he got in his driveway, uh, instantly called his uh, his doctor, and his doctor said, Bob, you're having a classic panic attack, uh, an anxiety attack. Uh, you need to get some rest and, and some relief. Um, and so I think it's important to understand that the people we look up to, they face stress just like everyone else, um, and, and learning how to handle that and actually bring Bring your awareness that you are under immense amounts of pressure. He got this during the time in, uh, in 2005 when he was in an extremely lengthy interview process to actually become the CEO of Disney. That's when the stress got to him. Um, and he said this was a hard-earned lesson uh, about the importance of, of tenacity and perseverance. Um, so it's one of those things that I think catches up to everyone at some point in time. So I want to talk a little bit about the mentors in Bob's life. Uh, I've been incredibly fortunate to have some mentors, and the way I think about it is, is mentors save you decades. <laughs> they really do. They can bring awareness to your faults. Um, you can also just get so much from osmosis, just seeing how they operate and and one of bobs and also actually probably bobs foundational mentor was uh was rune arledge and he was president of abc sports um for about a 20 year time period from between the 60s to the the mid to late 80s um and then actually abc news from 77 to the late 90s i think 1998 and i'll i'll tell you a few things uh about rune that that bob took away from him um And so one of the things he says, to tell great stories, you need great talent, right? Like they're involved in TV and cinema, so you need to tell great stories, you need great talent. And he says he was the most competitive person I've ever worked for and a relentless innovator, but he also knew that he was only as good as the people he surrounded himself with. And you can see this with Bob. He continually surrounded himself with great people. Um, Rune also talked about innovate or die, and there's no innovation if you operate out of fear. So you, you got to go into the, into the unknown and embrace that fear, right? Like mediocrity lives in just the things that we're constantly familiar with. So you've got to push yourself. Um, and that was really important to, to Rune and that, and that distilled down to Bob there. Um, and, and Bob said that Rune's commitment to making things great was just galvanizing. It, he said it was actually often exhausting and frustrating, right? Like we know those, those people who care so much about greatness and perfection, it, it's exhausting, but this also raised other people's level um, because because Bob said he knew how much Rune cared about making things great. And so Bob wanted to live up to those expectations, right? It's not like Rune was just had these massive expectations just to make people feel inferior. It was like Rune embodied these and he cared so deeply about it. And when you see other people care deeply about something, you never wanna let them down. And that was true for Bob. Um, but it, it's a different difficult and delicate thing finding that balance between demanding your people and instilling fear and and i think awareness is really key here to even be attuned to maybe pushing your people too hard but also kind of like pulling back the throttle and and i think a lot of that um you can get through that when people know how much you care for them and you actually are thinking about them right like that's empathy is, is understanding the other person um well, in, in your life, in your work, you'll be more respected and trusted by people. Um, if you, if you honestly own them through your mistakes and that's something that room did, right? Like if you make a mistake, you own it. Um, that's crucial. And, and Bob's one who calls himself out, um, in his, uh, his autobiography, the ride of a lifetime, which is a fantastic read. I really enjoyed it. He, he does, he brings up his faults. He mentions when he was wrong, what he did things wrong. Um, and that's crucial. And he also talks about you You need to be decent to people. I mean, this is obvious, but this doesn't mean that you lower your expectations, right? So many people I think like, oh yeah, you got, you got a candy coat. No, you have to be firm. You have to be fair. Um, but you do have to be decent to them and consistent, fair minded. And so Bob's always thinking about all these things. That's another thing that came out, um, in studying more into Bob is the number of things that these people have going on in their head at one time, right? Like, I can only imagine what it's like to run a company as big as, as the Walt Disney company. And so much of this is the people, the people dynamics. He says it weighs on, on him constantly. He's just always thinking about the people. Um, and so that's really cool because you can see how much he cares. Um, and that's great. I, I did mention mentors. One of the other ones was, uh, was Michael Eisner who was CEO uh, before Bob. And Eisner was incredible um, with his ability to see the big picture as well as the granule little details, right? Like the way the mental model I think about is zoom in, zoom out, right? Like Eisner was great at big picture. What are we doing for this company in 10 years? And then what are the smallest little things going on at one of these parks that I need to be aware of? Um, and, you know, like great is just often a collection of very small things added up. And Bob understood this, and Bob really took this and embodied this from Eisner. So, when Bob took over as CEO, Bob knew about the long term vision. He knew about the, those zoom out mentalities, right? Like, what was 30,000 feet like? And then also, what were those small, mundane details that added up really drive perfection in your business? And we'll dive into that now the relentless pursuit of perfection and it's it's do what you need to do to make it better um bob learned that that from rune right like it's this is a pure relentless perfu- uh, pursuit of perfection and and it's a mindset right like you don't just write down the words well, a mindset you have to internalize it and then actually go about every little thing right like it's about that quality you can bring to your pursuit there and you need to create that environment so if you're a leader listening to this it's your responsibility to create that environment where mediocrity is refused and you can get everyone else on board trying to embody that relentless pursuit of perfection. And one of the things Bob brings up that had such a tremendous impact um, on him was the, the documentary Jiro uh, Dreams of Sushi. And this is about a master sushi chef uh, over in Tokyo um, named Jiro. Um, and quick, quick note here. You, you find that the people who are, are truly seeking excellence, they find the patterns across everything, right? Like Bob's watching this Netflix documentary about sushi, but all of a sudden he pulls away and extracts out a lesson that he embodies so deeply. It changes the way he lives his life and how he leads. So in this in this documentary, uh, Bob, Bob saw what Jiro did, who spent literally a lifetime with his craft uh, I did see the documentary. It was very intriguing, and I think one of the one of the parts it's it's talking about like learning how to just handle the rice in his restaurant, and it's something that you have to work just with the rice for 10 years before they allow you to touch any of the fish. It, it was something like that. Basically, like the amount of time you have to dedicate is just so long, and so there's a Japanese word and. Uh, I'm sorry if I get this this pronunciation correct. Clearly, my articulation of speech is not great, especially in foreign languages. But, but that Japanese term is shokunin, which is the endless pursuit of perfe- perfection for some greater good. So shokunin is the endless pursuit of perfection for some greater good. And Bob says, I fell in love with Jiro when I watched and became fascinated by this concept. He actually ended up um, in 2013 traveling to Tokyo uh, to the restaurant with a bunch of colleagues so they could actually see what this was like the relentless pursuit of perfection um i just think this is so cool i know i said this a minute ago but you see a principle someone embodying something that you can take away in, in a field so different than yours right like quality perfection drive motivation the, these are all true these are un, all uncommon commonalities amongst the high performers and i just really appreciate that he was able to to pull that out so, one thing that that Bob talks about is the the merger um, with capital cities, who who was led by by Tom and Dan. And Tom and Dan are some of the greatest business leaders of all time. Actually, Warren Buffett thinks they're the best executive team of all time. Um So, in the distillery on the website, we'll all we'll have some things linked up about Tom and dan. but but Bob said they're the most authentic people he ever met. Um, they were genuinely themselves at all times, right? That gets back to authenticity. You can see where Bob's leadership principle comes from. Um, and probably the greatest two person combo in management. So, we should definitely put a lot of focus and attention. And Bob definitely did. And they just had like true integrity, a sense of knowing who you are and being guided by your own clear sense of right and wrong is kind of a secret weapon. Like, so many people just go through the work world um, not being guided by this. And when you are guided by this, like Bob said, it's a secret weapon. Um, and so Bob said their, their business strategy was fairly simple. They were hyper vigilant about controlling costs and they believed in a decentralized corporate structure, meaning they didn't think every key decision should be made by the two of them or by a small group of strategists in corporate headquarters. They hired people who were smart and decent and hardworking, and they put those people in positions of big responsibility and they gave them the support and autonomy needed to do the job. They were also tremendously good generous with their time and always accessible. Because of this, executives working for them always had a clear sense of their priorities were and their focus enabled them to be focused too. So many times leaders do not set the priorities straight. And what people want is is in certainty, right? Like it's a it's a human flaw of ours. But if we can help set direction for the people who are working with us and guide them, it is just so crucial. All this, all of a sudden, those people then feel so much safer um, and can go after what they need to go after. Another thing Bob talks about that he learned from them is the need for optimism. We talked about that in the intro, right? Um, when things were dire, um, for sure, he he needed to look at the situation not as a catastrophe but as a puzzle that everyone needed to solve to communicate our team, um, that we were talented and nimble enough to solve these big problems and make something wonderful on the fly, right? Like that, that even embodies that curiosity element, like dire scenarios where most people would, would be so fearful, but nope, the optimists shine through. Can you get everyone else on that team to be excited and to see this as a learning opportunity? Um, And then Bob also said, my instinct throughout my career has always been to say yes to every opportunity, Um, and he wanted to move up and learn and do more, and he wasn't going to forego any chance to do that. And he saw this from Tom and Dan. They they took on big opportunities, Um, and so it's really cool to see him learning from two of the greatest business leaders of all time. Bob goes on to say, know what you don't know and trust in what you do, right? Like the famous line, I don't know. I, I wish I'd known this. I know I've said this plenty of times on the podcast. I wish I knew that phrase a little bit earlier in my life. You know, maybe it's bravado, um, ego that got in the way, but just admitting you don't know, you can go so much further. And he says, your inexperience can't be an excuse for failure. The first rule is to not fake anything. You have to be humble and you can't pretend to be someone you're not or to know something you don't. You're always in a position of leadership though, so you can't let humility prevent you from leading. It's a fine line. And something I preach today, you have to ask the question you need to ask, admit without an apology, what you don't understand and to do the work to learn what you need to learn as quickly as you can. There's nothing less confidence inspiring than a person faking knowledge they don't possess true authority and true leadership come from knowing who you are and not pretending to be anything else, man. I just love that. That is just so crucial. I feel like if you're earlier in your career, you're not embodying this print, print that out, um, that's that's completely linked up um, in the distillery online, and just print that out, read that every single day. Don't let your ego crush you in these things. Um, I just thought this was really really cool. Next up, uh, Bob talks about managing talent, um, and in, in a company like the Walt Disney Company, you got a lot of creative talent. And he says managing creative processes starts with the understanding that it's not a science. Everything is subjective. There is often no right or wrong. The passion it takes to create something is powerful, and most creators are understandably sensitive when their vision or execution is questioned. So he he says this again and again, right? Like there's not black and white answers to a lot of this. They're, they're, they're fine lines. It's that yin and yang. It's that balance. Um, and he said he's found that people will focus on little details as a way of masking a lack of any clear, coherent, big thoughts. If you start petty, you seem petty, and if the big picture is a mess, then the small things don't matter anyway, and you shouldn't spend time focusing on them. So you need to, as a leader, know the big picture um, and not get bagged down, bogged down by lack of direction um, because if, if you're lacking direction, you can only imagine what that's like for the other people that you're ma- managing, and we'll, we'll, I'll read a quote here from Bob about Big risks, I think about this a lot with managing people, and he says, I'd much rather take big risks and sometimes fail than not take risks at all. Um, I didn't want to be in the business of playing it safe. I wanted to be in the business of creating possibilities for greatness. Of all the lessons in the first year running primetime, the need to be comfortable with failure was the most profound, not, not with lack of effort, but with the unavoidable truth that if you want innovation, and you should always, you need to give permission to fail. So important as a leader to understand this, that there's going to be a lot of mistakes. Your people are going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. But encourage the pursuit of going after greatness. You can't play it safe. So that, one of the greatest business leaders of all time telling you, um, if you're someone who's afraid of of taking risks of failure, that that you need to do that. It's a necessary evil. And he says, you can't erase your mistakes or pin your bad decisions on someone else. You have to own your failures. You earn as much respect and goodwill by standing by someone in the wake of failure as you do by giving them credit for success. I've seen this play out, even myself, with big failures. Um, Former people I've worked with or managers, when I made a crucial mistake, they, did, they didn't leave me out to dry. Um, they were with me there. I mean, they were They were still hard on me, um, but they, they, did, they didn't leave me out to dry. And yeah, that was more important to me personally than some of the highlights or other opportunities they, they gave me. Um, and once again, that's a balance, right? One of the things Bob talks about as well, which is really insightful, because I feel like this is something that's not often talked about. And he says he often feels guilty in front of the people he works with. Remember, right? Like he's the head of this company. And so he gets so much attention and he feels guilty for this because he understands business is a team sport. And because of that, so much of the light is shined on him and he feels really bad that the people, a lot of times who might be responsible for the work, aren't aren't getting the credit they need. Um, it's those small gestures, right? Like the praise, maybe Bob's getting highlighted um, on CNBC or something like that, but he, he can let people know, and he did that um, in a meeting um, outside of Disney, the little things. This actually reminds me a lot of um, the legendary tennis player Roger Federer there's this great story about Federer. Um, he was at Nike headquarters, you know, going around the building, walking around, meetings, things like that, just kind of like, where, where's the shoe line going? Where's the apparel line going? Um, and so he walks out of the building, and they're like 100 yards outside of the building. He's with a few other people. And all of a sudden, he goes, oh, wait, 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 I, I need to go back in. So Federer sprints back into the building. Um, and so he comes back out, and the people with him are like, what were you doing? And he says, oh, I needed to go back in. I forgot to say thanks to, to the security guard. And it's like, wow. Talk about the embodiment of understanding the importance of everyone and their role within the business. He knew that if, if that security guard was was feeling the connection to everyone else, then everyone in that building does their job better. And you can just see this. Once again, an uncommon commonality. They understand the importance of highlighting the people who often aren't highlighted. Um, I just think that's that's really, really cool. Uh, another thing Bob talked about, we, we talked about it slightly um, in the stress component. Um, so he became um, president and chief operating officer of uh, Capital Cities, ABC, a year nine months after becoming president of the network. And he said it was just a dizzying and sometimes destabilizing trajectory. And And he said, I wouldn't as a rule recommend promoting someone as rapidly as they promoted me. But I will say one more time because it bears repeating, the way they conveyed their faith in me at every step made all the difference in my success. Here we have one of the most powerful CEOs of all time and saying the the way that other people viewed him, the faith they put in him was the most important thing in his success. This makes me think of Randall Stutman, um, who we were fortunate enough to have on. Randall Stutman has worked with more CEOs, Um portfolio managers investors sports leaders coaches players and probably anyone um, he, he, he in my eyes is probably the best leadership ship coach there is and it's his principle of fanness right like everyone wants other people that they respect cheering for them and I ever talk ever since talking with Randall multiple times about that I can never forget it we want people cheering for us and so think about that if you're leading someone that you should be cheering people on it's going to mean so much more to them. So this was, this was a, a really extensive, deep dive into Bob. I, I know we've covered a lot of different things, um, but I'm just gonna hit on a few more leadership principles that he talks about, and then even how he thinks about managing time, um, because we all wanna want believe we're irreplaceable, um, especially a lot of the, the big leaders. And so what Bob says around this is be aware that you are replaceable. The trick is to be self-aware enough that you don't cling to the notion that you're the only person who can do this job at its essence, good leadership isn't about being indispensable. It's about helping others be prepared to possibly step into your shoes, giving them access to your own decision-making, identifying the skills they need to develop, and helping them improve. And as I've had to do, sometimes being honest with them about why they're not ready for the next step, man, that is so crucial. Um, Being aware enough that you're not indispensable. And then helping those underneath you is just so amazing to see. Um, I, I just love hearing about that um, with, with these with these elite leaders. And it, it's, it's just really cool to hear. So I, I know I mentioned we talk about managing time. And so Bob says managing your time and respecting others' times is one of the most vital things to do as a manager. You often have to sit through those meetings that if given the choice you might not choose to sit through, you have to learn and absorb. You have to hear out other people's problems and find solutions. It's all part of being a great manager. And think about this, right? Like there's plenty of times I can only imagine a a meeting with Bob Iger, um, where it might be that most important or it might be the most important meeting for someone who's lower in their career than Bob, just him being in the room. So when he has the ability to have empathy and show the respect to those people, think about what it does for those people, not only in that time, in that moment, but the long tail of that as well, the effort they're going to put towards the company, towards you, uh, it's really, really important. And so he he walks around. He wants to understand and ask clarifying questions to get them more, more out of people. You know, it's like he's going to go around asking them, what's the problem I need to solve? Does this solution make sense? If I'm feeling some doubt, why? And these are all things he's asking himself, and he tries to get the people who work for him to do the same thing. And It's important to know and to find a balance to so do your job. You have to be patient. You have to look for opportunities to pitch in, expand, and grow and make yourself one of the people through attitude, energy, and focus that your bosses feel they have to turn to when an opportunity arises. And that's something Bob did throughout his entire career. He spent his entire career within the ABC companies because he was one of those people that people could count on um, that had energy, optimism, a great attitude, and focus. And so when, when you have someone like that that you're leading, when you have a new opportunity pop up, who do you think you're they're gonna look to? They're gonna look to those people. So this this really was a, a fun distillation to put on in, in one of my all-time favorite business leaders and CEO. Like I mentioned, you can head to whatgotyouthere.com to check out the full distillation of Bob Iger, which is much longer. It's uh, it's right around uh, 9,000 words, and I dive into all of his leadership principles, the lessons to lead. So there's a lot of actionable takeaways here uh, if you wanna dive further in, into this. And, and remember, this is something we do once a month. It's a once, once a month deep dive into someone I've learned from, I have a tremendous amount of respect from. Um, so past people we've done, uh, we did a throwback. We actually did a, a Bruce Lee, distillation. We've done the CEO of Formula One, um, the Mercedes team, Toto Wolf. We've done Josh Waitskin, the, the legendary chess prodigy and martial artist. So what I like to do is I like to get a wide berth of people from all different industries. And it's about distilling down and synthesizing their wisdom, how we can use it, and then figure out that, oh, wow, what they were doing over here in martial arts is actually applicable to me and my technology company. And and that's where that distillation and and synthesis really come into play. So I hope you guys enjoyed this distillation of Bob Iger. Once again, you guys can head to whatgotyouthere.com, click on the distillery tab to read the full distillation of Bob Iger. But looking forward to you guys joining us next time. Thanks again. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.